All right, once again, we are in the book of Proverbs today, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, as we've seen these last uh, several weeks. Not merely theoretical wisdom, uh, but very practical wisdom for our everyday living. As you've been working our way through the book of Proverbs, we've been focusing each week on a different topic uh, that Proverbs addresses. And today, we're going to be looking at what Proverbs teaches us about dealing with difficult people. Uh, all of us have difficult people in our lives, and at times, probably all of us are difficult people in the lives of others. Uh, but be that as it may, we're going to be looking at what Proverbs teaches us about how to uh, respond to various types of difficult people. And here are kind of the categories we're going to look at. Uh, angry people, argumentative people, foolish people, and enemies. So how do wise people respond to these various categories of people in our lives? And again, these could be uh, family members, they could be coworkers, they could be neighbors, whatever the case may be. Just think of uh, the one or two people in your life that are the most difficult for you to get along with, and that's who we're going to be talking about today. Uh, what is your responsibility when interacting with difficult people? First, Proverbs 10, we're going to begin there and give just kind of an overarching principle, and this will apply to a lot of these categories that we're going to look at. Uh, but, but before we get into those, Proverbs 10, verse 12, this is a principle that really applies to all of our interpersonal relationships. How are we to relate to people around us? Proverbs 10, verse number 12, says, Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. Uh, all of us will be offended at times by the words and actions of others. And all of us will offend others at times by our words and actions. Uh, part of what it means to be a human being uh, interacting with other human beings is that there will be conflicts. Uh, we wrong one another at times. A self-centered person cannot handle when someone offends them. It has to be made right. Apologies have to be offered. Recompense has to be given. Uh, that is a feature of self-centeredness. To demand that every offense against you be made right. Whereas this proverb says, love covers all offenses. It absorbs the offense. And isn't this exactly what Jesus taught us? If someone strikes you on the cheek, Jesus says, uh, don't strike them back. Don't demand even that they apologize. Rather, turn the other cheek. Uh, take the blow. If someone steals your tunic, Jesus says, offer them your cloak too. And we read that and we think, are you kidding me? Uh, that seems like just letting people take advantage of you, letting them uh, use you and abuse you. And yet, Jesus says, that's love. And so as we work through the rest of these Proverbs, let this be the overarching principle. As Christians, we are to be known for our love. And that means letting go of the need for every offense against you to be atoned for. Love covers offenses. Uh, notice the motivation here in verse 12. You have hatred and you have love. So how can you tell if you're a hateful or loving person? Well, the answer is, how do you respond when someone wrongs you? Do you become angry and seek revenge? Or do you let it go and cover the offense? Hatred exaggerates the offense. You notice there it says it stirs up strife. So sometimes an offense is not even really there. It's just perceived. And someone with hatred in his heart will stir that up, will exaggerate, will blow it out of proportion. Whereas love forgives. Uh, love is 
covering actual offenses, not just perceived offenses. This is a case where someone really did do you wrong, and yet you are to choose to forgive. As Bruce Waltke writes, love cherishes the wrongdoer as a friend to be won, not as an enemy with whom to get even. Personified love conceals or draws a veil over all transgressions. And so that brings us now to the hardest word in this entire verse. Already this has been tough, but look at that again. Verse 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. That can't be right. Uh, All offenses. Surely there are some offenses that cross a line. Uh, Let's see if the New Testament gives us any help here. Ephesians 4 verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Okay, so as Christians, we are supposed to forgive one another as God forgives us. Question. How much does God forgive us? <laughs> uh, that's pretty much total forgiveness, complete forgiveness. And Paul says here in these verses, that's how Christians ought to interact with one another. And that includes difficult people. We're supposed to be kind and forgiving towards them too. So love covers the offense. Rather than broadcasting it, rather than making an issue out of it, love says, I'm going to take the blow. I'm going to absorb it rather than demanding that it be made right. And so with that as the principle, then, let's see what Proverbs says about these four different categories of people and how we as uh, wise people should respond to them. First, you have the argumentative or insulting people, or you could say the jerks. (laughs) How do you respond when someone is a jerk to you? Proverbs 12, verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So you see, the fool is impatient. He is unguarded with his words. When he is upset about something, when he's vexed by something, everybody knows it. Uh, Immediately, whatever is bothering him is publicized. A wise person or a prudent man ignores an insult. So someone is baiting him. Someone is trying to elicit a response, uh, and he just ignores it. And so the contrast here is one of revealing all of your thoughts and emotions versus concealing them, restraining them. A wise person can remain silent even when someone is insulting him. He has the self-control necessary to ignore the the insult. Now, that's not a natural response. I know that's not my natural response. Uh, When somebody insults me or someone's being a jerk to me, uh, I tend to become angry and respond in kind. It takes incredible wisdom and self-control to ignore an insult. But if you do, it often deflates the one who's trying to insult you. If you respond angrily to someone who's being a jerk to you, then they know that their insult has affected you. I have a brother who's two years older than me, and growing up, we fought and argued like brothers sometimes do. And uh, if he was being a jerk to me or he was calling me names or whatever, I would go and run to my mom and tell on him. And my mom would pretty much always ask, is he hurting you? And I would think for a minute and say, well, no. And then she would say, then just ignore him. Now, that was never the answer that I wanted to hear. I wanted her to punish him, uh, bring down justice on my brother. 
Because as a self-centered child, I wanted every offense against me to be made right. But love covers offenses. And so even in ignoring the one who is insulting you, you can see the principle at work. They insult you, and it says you take it. (laughs) You just absorb it, you ignore it. You don't respond at all. Uh, Tremper Longman writes concerning this verse, This proverb values repression over impulsive uh, displays of emotion. It thus is similar in principle to those proverbs that value silence over much speech. In other words, there is benefit for those who do not let their rivals know how upset they are. People shouldn't always know what you're thinking and feeling. That's a characteristic of the fool. That whatever's going on inside of his mind is very obvious to people around him through his words and through his actions, through his displays of emotion. Wise people have the self-control to not display all of what they're thinking and all of what they're feeling. And so that's argumentative people or insulting people. Proverbs says, basically, do your best to ignore them. Next, angry people. How does Proverbs instruct us to deal with people who are hot-tempered? Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So how we speak or respond to someone who is angry will either pacify their anger or intensify it. Uh, The difficulty with this is that usually if somebody approaches you in anger, your natural response is to get angry as well. And so again, uh, the only way to respond as Proverbs is saying here is to first restrain your own reaction, uh, control the emotions that you may be feeling. I want to look at just one example of this from the Old Testament. This is a story of uh, David and Nabal. You may be familiar with this. This is before David was king of Israel. So Saul was still reigning during this time. And we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel 25, verse 2. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the uh, man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So notice there in verse 3, particularly the word discerning. So Abigail was a wise woman. We'll see her wisdom in a moment as she uses a soft answer to turn away wrath. But you've got Nabal, who's kind of a jerk. He's harsh. He's badly behaved. And you've got Abigail, who is a wise lady. Verse 4. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you and peace be to your house and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. And so as we'll see in a moment, he's basically saying, me and my men, uh, the warriors, we've protected your shepherds from any harm uh, for quite a while as we've been in your land here. And so verse 8, ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Now, this was not an abnormal request. Uh, Hospitality like this uh, was far more common in their culture than it is in our culture today. And so you would have been expected uh, that Nabal here would 
accommodate, <clears throat> accommodate David and his men and grant this request. Verse 9. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. And so David here is ticked. Uh, Nabal has insulted him. He was being a jerk to him. Uh, but now David is responding very poorly. He did not need to respond like this. This is an overreaction. Would have been wiser for David to ignore the insults and move on. But he's angry now. And so he orders all of his men, get out your swords. Uh, we're going to go slaughter these people. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything while we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. So he's saying that they provided protection for us. They really were uh, great to us. And so it seems like we ought to be willing to do them this little favor. Uh, verse 17, Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one, uh, that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So David is basically saying, Because of what he's done, uh, repaying my good with evil, I'm going to go and kill all of the men of Nabal's uh, fields. Verse 24, uh, sorry, verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your Lord, uh, sorry, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Uh, please forgive the trespass of your servants, 
For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when my Lord has done to my Lord, uh, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. When the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed, notice, be your discretion. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go, in, go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. Now, this is a great example of a soft answer turning away wrath and harsh words stirring up anger. At the very beginning of the story, Nabal responds very harshly to David. David completely overreacts, uh, but the harsh words, the insulting uh, way that Nabal spoke to him stirred up David's anger. And then Abigail, the wise wife, came and gave a soft response. And that soft response, according to Proverbs 15, creates an atmosphere in which fruitful conversations can take place. Harsh words cause a person to become defensive. And so our words can either put water on the fire of anger or it can pour gasoline on it, depending on how we respond. Now, let me hasten to add that there are some people who cannot be reasoned with no matter how well you respond. And Proverbs acknowledges this. Uh, it, it acknowledges the fact that there are some people who are angry, and even if you respond with a soft word and you try to reason with them gently, uh, it's just not going to go well. And so to these kinds of people, Proverbs advises us not to engage with them at all. Proverbs 22 verse 10 says, Drive out a scoffer and the strife will go out and quarreling and abuse will cease. So sometimes anger and contention is the result of a stressful situation or a misunderstanding, in which case Proverbs says, respond with your emotions and control, give a soft answer, try to ease the tension. But other times, strife and quarreling is the result of a particular person who just needs to be removed from the group. Wherever he goes, there is conflict, and so no matter how well uh, you respond to this type of person, the only solution is to put distance between you and them. So that's angry people. Two more categories here uh, that we're going to look at this morning. Next would be enemies. How does Proverbs teach us to interact with those who hate us? Remember, Jesus said uh, to love our enemies. He didn't say not to have any, uh, because sometimes that's not up to you. Jesus had enemies. Uh, and yet, Throughout our life, despite the fact that there may be sometimes people who oppose us, they target you for whatever reason, we ought to respond wisely to such people. And so here's three passages on how to interact with enemies. First, Proverbs 16, verse 7, 
When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, we need to remember that Proverbs is giving us here principles and not promises. Again, Jesus is a great example, obviously, of someone who always pleased his father, did what was right, and yet his enemies hated him so much that they killed him. Uh, So this isn't a blanket promise for every single situation in life. There are exceptions to this general rule. But still, wise and godly people strive to be at peace even with those who have disdain for them. And here are two specific ways in which Proverbs instructs us to seek for peace with our enemies. Uh, First, chapter 24, verse 28 says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Now, to understand what's going on in this proverb, notice carefully in verse 28 the words, without cause. All right, so this says, don't be a witness against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. So this would be a legal proceeding in which you are brought as a witness before the court. Your neighbor is on trial, and as we'll see in the next verse, this neighbor hasn't been a very good friend to you in the past. He's wronged you in certain ways, and so there's some animosity between you and him. And now you're brought as a witness with the opportunity to be dishonest and really get this guy back for the things he's done to you. Uh, Verse 28 implies the man is innocent of what he's being accused of. That's why it says, don't be uh, dishonest, don't lie. And so this proverb is saying, don't take advantage of the situation and get revenge on your neighbor. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor in an attempt to get him back for something that he did to you in the past. And so verse 29, don't say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Now, most of us won't be called as a witness in a legal proceeding. This is not a normal part of our life today. But the principle is this. When you have an opportunity to hurt someone who has annoyed you or wronged you in the past, don't do it. When you have an opportunity to get even with someone, don't. Without going through all of the texts, one of the best examples of this in the Old Testament is David when he's running from King Saul. If you're familiar with uh, 1 Samuel, you know that quite a bit of the book is following this uh, rivalry between Saul and David. Saul is king over Israel at the time. Uh, He's very upset with David. He's jealous of him. He's got some uh, basically insecurity towards David, and so he wants him dead. And God protected David and made sure that Saul was never able to carry out his intentions. But Saul would chase David around and try to capture him and kill him. Multiple times throughout that process, David had a chance to kill Saul. He would be hiding from Saul in a cave uh, with all of his men hiding. You know, Saul's seeking his life and they're, they're hiding in there. And then Saul and his men would stop for a rest, and Saul would go in the cave to sleep or something, not realizing that David was actually right in there. Multiple times, situations arose like this, where David had an opportunity to get revenge on the man who was seeking his life. David's men even told him, you know, come on, man, this is your chance. Uh, Take him out. He's right here. And David said no. David never harmed Saul, even though Saul was an enemy towards him. Even when he had the opportunity, David would not lift his hand against Saul. And so Proverbs says, don't get back at your enemies even when you have the chance to. Now, Proverbs goes a step further than just that. That's hard enough. 
Uh, if you have an enemy, somebody that has disdain for you, that's wronged you in the past, and you've got a great opportunity uh, to just get back at them and get revenge, it's hard enough to control yourself and say, no, I'm not going to take advantage of the situation. But Proverbs goes even further. It says, not only don't harm them when you have the opportunity to, but actually seek to help them in their time of need. Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals of, uh, on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Uh, that's a hard verse. Not only don't rejoice when your enemy is suffering, instead, seek to help him. And there's two reasons that are given there. Number one, it'll affect his conscience. Uh, conscience. That's the idea of heaping burning coals on his head. And then number two, the Lord will be pleased and will reward you. And so Jesus really wasn't the first one to say, love your enemies. Proverbs said it about a thousand years before. Proverbs says, don't act with revenge against your enemies, rather act in love towards them. It may be that your act of kindness and their time of need is used to bring them to repentance. Now, the coals of fire on the head refers most likely to the burning shame that the person would experience when his evil is returned with good. I was thinking of an example of that this week, and what came to mind was Judas Iscariot, uh, the night that he betrayed Jesus. Is it, that night he had already plotted with the religious rulers. He had set up the time when he was going to turn Jesus over to be killed. And that very night, Christ kneeled in front of him and washed his feet. That's heaping coals of fire on your enemy's head. And so look for opportunities to help even your enemies and resist the opportunities to take advantage of or to hurt an enemy. This is how wise people seek to be at peace even with those who oppose them. All right, last one, fools. How do wise people respond to foolish people? Proverbs 17, verse 12, Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. That's a nice image there for you. Uh, we've all seen the, the videos, I'm sure, of a mother bear when uh, the cubs are threatened. They tend to get quite angry. And the author of Proverbs here is using a kind of humorous hyperbole to explain his point. And here's the point, very simply, don't associate with foolish people. They are a danger to themselves and to those around them. And it seems to be here referring especially to a fool who is angry, out of control, uh, like the bear. A fool who is acting out in his foolishness, it's best to avoid them. But then we can't always avoid fools. Some of them, again, are people we work with, people in our family, people in our neighborhood. And so you may be forced at times to interact with someone who is foolish. And so here's more wisdom for us. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You read those two verses, you go, wait a minute, uh, that seems weird. Uh, this pair of Proverbs is a great example of the kind of genre, the kind of literature that the book of Proverbs is. Obviously, you can't take these as both being absolute statements, because if they are, then this is an absolute contradiction. Uh, yet, they are placed right next to each other, in the book of Proverbs, so that it's obvious that the author intended us to see both of these instructions and take them together. Both of these Proverbs are dependent on the situation, and they require wisdom to know when to implement which one. 
A wise person, in other words, must assess whether this particular person, this foolish person that he's dealing with, will simply be a drain on his energy with no positive results, or whether an answer will possibly be fruitful in helping the fool to see his error, or at least in helping those who hear the conversation to know the truth. Wise people then analyze the situation and the person that has said something foolish and determine if this is someone that can be reasoned with or not. So sometimes respond to the fool, and other times it is best not to. Wisdom is required to know which is which. But in either case, our our responses to foolish people should be intentional and not just emotional or reactionary. We should be trying to accomplish something uh, positive with our response, not just responding because we're upset. And often, if the situation is just clear that nothing productive is going to take place, it's best just to not respond at all. Whatever you do, Proverbs says, don't get into an argument with a fool. Proverbs 29 verse 9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Fools are unable to remain calm while arguing or disagreeing about something. They either resort to ridicule or they get angry. But either way, nothing positive is accomplished. And so if you say something corrective to a fool, you take the Proverbs 26, 4 or 5 approach and say, okay, this seems to be a situation in which uh, something productive could be accomplished. I'm going to respond to this person uh, who's being foolish. You say something corrective to them and they respond with mockery or they just reject it. Proverbs 29, 9 says, just leave it there. Uh, Don't get into a back and forth with them and continue arguing. Nothing is going to be accomplished other than you looking foolish and the fool getting more hardened in his folly and resolve. And so what we've seen Proverbs teaching about uh, dealing with difficult people is often it's just best not to respond. Uh, Restraint is an attribute of wise people. They don't always feel the need to respond. And even when it is necessary, the words of the wise are intentional and best suited for peace. Wise people seek peace even with difficult people, those who are the hardest to get along with. The wise man will respond with his emotions in control, with soft words, with uh, uh, gentle words, ignoring insults, absorbing offenses, not seeking revenge. Part of being a Christian means loving even the people who are hardest to love. I think this is one reason that God designed us not to live the Christian life alone, but in a church family. Because uh, if you're a part of a church for any length of time, there will at times be personalities within the church that clash. People will have a hard time getting along with one another. And it's good for us to learn to love and be kind even to those people we may not naturally like. And remember, too, that you're probably a difficult person sometimes as well. As is always the case with all of these things we've been looking at in Proverbs, Jesus perfectly exemplifies this aspect of wisdom and all the different facets that we've looked at today. Many of these Proverbs carry themes of loving one's enemies, not seeking revenge, all subjects that Jesus famously taught in his Sermon on the Mount. And in his example, we see Jesus standing silently in the face of insults and mockery at Herod's trial, and he just ignored them. When he was reviled, he reviled them not. He didn't stoop to their level and react with insults of his own. And on the cross, we have the ultimate example of love, 
as Christ absorbed the offenses of the world and didn't seek retaliation, but instead offers forgiveness even to his enemies. No one has better loved difficult people than Christ himself because he loves each one of us. Now, as we close, let's each of us take a minute to ponder the path of our feet. Which path are you walking down? How have you responded when dealing with these difficult kinds of people? Proverbs shows us the way of wisdom that seeks peace as much as possible with others, and the way of the fool that responds in kind and stirs up conflict further. Wisdom is crying out to us today to listen and to learn, and now each of us have the choice to make. We can either scoff at the instruction of Proverbs and continue treating people however we, we would like, or we can choose the way of wisdom. Let's pray together.